Well, good morning again, church. Double check that. Yeah, we're good. And welcome to those online. Hello to you as well. It's great to be in worship with you as we uh, are in a sermon series. And uh, we uh, are pleased about this because you know it's a good sermon series when it ends the sermon series next week with a potluck. Yeah! Woo! Now, let me tell you, this isn't just going to be a potluck, all right? I mean, there's going to be the potluck. We're going to do the potluck with the food, bring your dishes, and all that good stuff. But it's not just going to be a potluck. We're going to have some other fun activities as well. One of those is, as mentioned before, a trivia game. Uh, and just to let you know, there is a prize at stake. You see, for the first time ever in my ministry, I am going to let you, the congregation, choose what the sermon topic is going to be. That's right. You get to pick anything you want. Now, you, hopefully you're wise about that, but if you pick what is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow, I will ask you if it's European or African, I think is what it was. But... As we're here today, you get to choose. So the winner of that's going to be able to choose, and then we'll take some other ideas as well. And there's going to be two weeks uh, before Palm Sunday where we're going to let you pick the sermon. Now, I am nervous, and I'm praying. So just so you know, your pastor, we're all stepping out in faith in many different ways this season. But uh, I thought just maybe that there was something maybe the church is just yearning to hear that it would be good and appropriate time to do so. So just to let you know, we're going to divide into teams and, uh, that day, and now I have Paula Koshnik, but we're going to, it's at stake, sermon title. Is yours for the choosing and that, and that day. But also, we're in the sermon series that we're in now, and we're going to be finishing it in these last two weeks. Uh, today, the subtitle is called Authentic. Authentic. We're talking about fellowship, and we've been talking about this image of the church coming together and what it means to be fellowshipping together, what it means and how, what does proper fellowship look like? What is, what is the ideals that we strive for, that we want for our church? And of course, for any church that is, a, a, you know, in faithful to Jesus Christ, and as you think about this word authentic, I always find it funny because authentic was, you know, there's kind of like stages of, of words that get thrown around for a long, like for a while, and then they just kind of go dark. And so like when I started ministry, you know, I was starting to get out, like the word, the buzzword for every church and every church leader was authentic, right? It was like everybody, it was like right, you know, that late, early, uh, you know, 2010-ish kind of era. And it was just every church and every pastor, oh, we just want to be authentic. We just want to be authentic. We just want to be authentic. And of course, part of the, the irony of that is if you're trying to be authentic, then you're not being authentic, right? I mean, that's kind of how that works, right? It's kind of hard to try to be authentic. You just are authentic. But I do want to take that term because there's an understanding there that's going on, right? And, and this idea that you can't try to be something, but there is authentically something that you are. And I wanted to just play off those words with our scripture here today. You see, this word authentic, and I think what they really meant is we want to be authentic in the idea that we are truly a church that desires God, is what they meant by that. And so one of our priorities above all else is we desire, we're going to be a people that's not just a social club, it's not just a, an outreach center for the community, it's not, we're going to desire God. We're going to be authentic, the real church, at the core of who we are. And I think that's what those pastors were talking about in those days. And of course, that still stands valid here today, that this authentic desire for God is exactly what the church offers and far above all other things, this relationship with Jesus Christ. You saw in our scripture here today from 1 John again, where it said these words, right? That if we claim to have fellowship with them, that God is light, and if we claim to have fellowship with them, but we live in darkness, we can't have, we are a lie. And we don't live by the truth, but if we walk in the light as he's in the light, I love this word, and it's speaking of God with us. We have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus Christ purifies ourselves from all sin. 
It's interesting, this idea of truth, right? That there's this way of light, this way of darkness, and the truth is if we're going to have fellowship with God, if we want fellowship with each other, of course, it's got to start at the very foundation of fellowship with God and being connected to Jesus Christ. And what the Scripture says right here is if you want to be in fellowship with Jesus Christ, you've got to live not in the darkness, but in the light. And this idea of when you do that, you live in truth. This truth is a necessity. That not only this, but like this idea that, you know what, when we're here on Sunday mornings, this very authentic desire that we have for God has to be the same person throughout the rest of the week. Otherwise, you live in darkness, right? I was talking with uh, someone the other day, and they were joking, you know, there's always the funny joke of, uh, well, you go out and party on Saturday night, you know, you can come in on Sunday morning and get clean. I said, well... If you predetermine that, I don't know exactly, how, you know, like, that's not exactly how this works, right? This desire for God that goes throughout the whole entire week, right, that you're becoming someone else and searching for God, and it can't just be a Sunday morning thing. In fact, this is just preaching to the choir, right, because, of course, you're here on Sunday morning because there's not really much other benefit other than, you know, being friendly with one another, but truly our society has lost the benefits of coming to church. You don't necessarily, no one in the community says, oh, well, they go to church, that's a, that's a point for them, Right? Knowing the community is sitting here saying, oh, you know, uh, you know, there's people working jobs right now making money. There's people at, you know, ball games for their kids and all that stuff. You're here, and the only real reason you can be here is because you're searching for God, right? I mean, that's, that's the main thing that's going on here, that you and I are searching for God. But I do want to warn us, as the scripture says, that, you know what, there's a way to live in darkness. And I love these next lines in verse 8. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When we live in the truth, to be authentic, there's this other extra kind of thing that happens. And not only is this this desire for God, but it's funny in church world, the power of self-deception. So I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of self-deception and how sometimes we choose darkness even though we, we think we're choosing the light, but in many ways we choose darkness in our life. And of course, for Christians, as you know, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, there's this kind of paradox thing that happens in your life where you want to become more Christ-like. You want to do what Jesus does. And so you, you're trying as hard as you can. And so what do you do when you fail? What do you do when a sin either happens because of what you've done or maybe because it happens because of what you didn't do? What do you do with those failures of, of sin when guilt and shame come knocking? I always find it interesting the human capacity to avoid responsibility. And if you're not a reflective person, it's a powerful thing to stop and reflect on one's life. And in fact, this is the season of Lent, which is a perfect time to do this because we justify living in the darkness in all sorts of ways. And in truth, even our culture will just commend you and pat you on the back sometimes for these different things. You often heard it said that from lawyers and from people in the prison systems that prison inmates, it's funny because no one in prison is guilty. When you ask them, everybody was in the wrong place, wrong time, and it was someone else's fault, right? You think about just the characters we have on TV or in the movies and that are celebrated, and basically they're, they have this duplicity about them, right? They're trying to do something good, but at the same time they're doing a bunch of things underhanded, and it's kind of this dichotomy of, of people, right, where people don't actually try to live what they preach, but instead we find ourselves with characters who live this duplicit life of doing good but at the same time doing bad and never once being reflective about it at all. 
one of our friends in our family, that is, or someone that we know, I should say, acquaintance. I remember hearing the story of, of uh, the husband in the family would seek out pornography. And when the wife found out about it, he blamed the wife for not meeting his needs. You see this darkness in all sorts of ways come out in people, even people following Jesus Christ. And so I wanted to talk and just list a few of these here today and just kind of think through and just I want you to self-reflect in your own life. Do any of these, you find yourself living in that darkness? Because remember what John says. We, can't, we don't live in the darkness. We live in the light. So let's step in the light here this morning. Of course, the first one, and you guys know this very well, and you've heard this voice in your own head, shift the blame, Right? So you do something wrong, maybe you're caught red-handed even, and you just go, well, it wasn't me. It was them, right? Now, I'm going to use my children a bit in the sermons uh, today. I just want you to know, and then I'm going to get myself here in a bit. But my children, I uh, want to use names, but you can guess maybe who they were, but uh, they do this all the time. Hey, which one of you left this out? It wasn't me. <laughs> right? And you're like, I, I just saw you. Get it out and play with it. Like, please put it up. It wasn't me. I'm not doing it. They did it. Right? Shifting the blame. Of course, we do that in sin in many different ways. But what about misremembering, where we exaggerate, or maybe the opposite, we minimalize something that's bad, or we exaggerate something maybe that's good, or maybe something and to just make it our own way, maybe for gossip, maybe for having something interesting to say, maybe for something, some way of understanding that, you know, trying to get ourselves out of self-justifying things, and it's so funny how often you talk to the kids and say, hey, did you do this? Well, I couldn't. There was a mountain of laundry in the way. I couldn't get my socks out of the drawer. We misremember, right? And it gets us off the hook in this way, but truly if we're self-reflective, it's choosing to live in the darkness once away for the things that God has for us. Or the compartmentalization, which you know, happens so well, where it's like, hey, God, I'll give you everything, but there's going to be a closet in my house, and I'm going to stuff it full of things. Don't go there, right? So Jesus, I'm going to open the door, come on and knock in, but you aren't allowed in that lockbox right there, right? This is unsafe for you. And we see this so many times in, in children's lives as well, where, you know, maybe in something like sports, they can be competitive, but then something else, they can't, and it's not fair. It's not fair. Daddy, it's not fair. And you're like, well... It was fair a minute ago when the tables were turned, right? But all of a sudden, it's not fair in this one situation because it's been compartmentalized as saying, this is Aaron here. Darkness is okay. Or the other idea of, hey, I earned this, right? So I get to live in the darkness because I earned I did all the good things, checked off my boxes, I got the things under my belt, and now I get to do what I want, right? And how many times uh, the barter system, as you know as a parent, is a very powerful thing. <laughs> But how many times the barter system does not work in your favor with your kids, right? And your kids have suddenly a different idea of what they've earned than what was agreed upon. I love how many times at our dinner table, if I take one more bite of this, Daddy, can I have ice cream? Well, you didn't eat any of the other food. That's one bite for a whole dinner. No, you can't have ice cream. But I earned it, Daddy. I ate this one piece. The darkness, right? We choose it. Or this card that's... that's I have to be tender with this, but the I, the I am a victim card, which of course, as we know, is very true in so many people's lives. There's true victims that are out there, and we want to speak tenderly on one hand, and of course, make a world where they feel safe and a place where they can be themselves and all these different things. 
But there is a challenge there with the gospel, right, that is also true that we want to preach, too, is that you don't have to stay a victim, right? That the power of Jesus Christ, the cross and the resurrection is powerful enough, and the gift of the Holy Spirit is enough to change your life where you can become the person who's the blessing to others, even those that have been victimized, to use your story, and that God can take that story and make something in it that is just truly amazing and shows his glory and also upbuilds your life in such a powerful way. Yet so many times... Well, Daddy, you didn't give me a fruit snack. Well, honey, you know what I'm saying. Now, this one, I'm going to come back, and it's not the kids, it's on me, but you don't, sometimes we just don't want the truth in our darkness. We just don't want to see it. We just want to ignore it. And sometimes that's just trying not to know, or sometimes it's just simply closing our eyes to what's going on and just not letting it happen. I had, uh, of course, this is pastor confession time, and so now that I've ragged on my kids, your pastor's going to get it right in the face, right, with the pie. But when I'm with my kids, uh, you know, there are times where I, you know, you're just tired. You're dog tired. You don't feel good. You didn't sleep well. You know, they, they, you know all these different things, and, and you just want them to put on their shoes so you can go do the errand that you need to do, and you've told them six times, put on the shoes. They said, okay, and it's 30 minutes later, and you're still trying to put the shoes on, Right? And, um, you know, your pastor, you know, this week, I, I had a moment where I, I lost my cool on my kids, you know, and I yelled at them in a way that I was ashamed. I'm truly, in thinking of it even now, I just think of the tender eyes and their eyes and their eyes watering when daddy just finally yelled at them and said, get your shoes on now, right? <laughs> and I had all the tablets in my hand and all the other things I kept going to, and I said, now, right? But I said it in such a stern way that you could tell it, it affected the relationship on that moment where they, they knew Daddy was so mad at them and they wondered, Daddy, does, does Daddy love me? You see, we choose darkness in so many ways and sometimes we just don't want to see the truth in ourselves. Or, of course, one of my favorite ways is the uh, way that the, has been popular now. We call it quiet quitting on the Internet, but it's absenteeism, right? It's just not showing up or showing up, but then just not being there, right? Remember one of my friends took a job when he was younger at Hobby Lobby, and he was convinced that they were the evil company. And I said, Hobby Lobby, dude, like whatever. He was working in the Photoshop, and he just decided that whenever someone would come up with the, to view the framing shop that was, he just wouldn't do anything. He wouldn't even go out and meet the customer. He'd just wait till the other person went out, and they basically waited till they fired him. Like, he just refused <laughs> to do any work. He'd come in, clock in, and not work, and then waited till they fired him. But in so many ways, we quite quit. We quite quit on ourselves. We quite quit on... Our people around us, we quite quit on what God's calling us to do. We show up, yeah, but we're not really there. And in so many ways, we choose darkness. You know, self-reflection is not the easiest thing at all. But the promise of Scripture is that if we're willing to self-examine and step out of the darkness and into the light, the promise is not only does God forgive us, hallelujah, but God has fellowship with us. And that very fellowship bleeds not only from that relationship with God, but it bleeds out to others as well. You see, one of the things the church has to be is a safe place to be a sinner thirsting for God. It's okay to admit that we don't have our life together, that we are, in fact, sinners. It's okay to be reflective about that. And ask God to change your heart. I was reading a book one of, that was written by uh, my, one of my favorite professors from seminary, Christine Pohl, and it's called Community, and she was talking about this dynamic that, hey, guess what? 
you're looking for the sinless community where you're not ever going to get hurt, it doesn't exist on this earth, right? And she was making the point of this idea that if you're going to be part of church, you're putting something at risk, right? And you can't put on this front that you have it all together. And, and it's a, you have to admit that there's going to be times where people hurt each other. There's going to be times where something is said or steps on your toes. You have to be a church that not only knows the fact and admits sin, but also forgives and forgives freely. That's the church that God's called us to be. That's how fellowship moves forward. The forgiveness of sins is alive and well, not only for us in our relationship with God, but for each other. Let us pray. God, as we're here today, we thank you so much for your word once again, this word that comes from the scripture of the letter of 1 John. Once again, it challenges us and just throws us into the mix once again, Lord, that we are sinners, each and every single one of us. The amazing part is, God, that when we admit that and when we come to you and we recognize our need, it's your power that transforms us in you. And it's your power that uplifts us and changes us and makes us into better human beings and more like Jesus. Not only, Lord, that we can be filled, filled in all the right ways that bring true life to our hearts and our minds and our souls. So that love could overflow into each other here in this church, where this would be a community so full of love and so full of grace and, yes, forgiveness, even of sins with each other. That people would belong that other people would be so moved when they would see this, that they would want to be part of something so different than this world. And so God, as we're here and we celebrate Holy Communion, 